1: welcome to another episode of New Books in Islamic Studies. I'm your host, Shobana Xavier. In each new episode, we interview an author of a new book in Islamic Studies. In today's episode, we are joined by Sophia Rose Arjuna. Bailed Superheroes, Islam, Feminism, and Popular Culture by Sophia Rose Arjuna with Kim Fox takes us on a riveting journey through the world of superheroes and villains from the streets of New York to Pakistan. The book is a creative, masterful, and fascinating analysis of female Muslim superheroes in popular culture, um, such as comic books and animation. Through the use of global examples, such as Miss Marvel, Burka Avenger, and Bloody Nasreen, just to name a few, Arjuna engages her readers beyond reductive discussions of the veil, sexuality, and gender to highlight the ever-complex ways in which Muslim... Female superheroes can help us engage constructively with the ideas of Islamic feminism, the Muslim female body, intersectionality, and even notions of violence. With supernatural powers such as through Sufi mystical arts or human qualities of courage and bravery, the Muslim superheroes featured in the study capture the real and complex lives of Muslim women globally and the vast negotiations they have to contend with. In doing so, Arjuna masterfully highlights that there is no singular Islamic feminist or just Muslim female experience. This book is a must-read for anyone interested in religion, popular culture, and gender studies, while its accessibly written style makes it an excellent resource for teaching religious, media, and gender studies for undergraduate students. Without further ado, here's my conversation with Sophia Rose Arjuna. Thank you so much for joining us to talk with us about your book, World Superheroes, Islam, Feminism and Popular Culture, Sophia. Hello. So I wanted to talk about um, how this project came to be and what led to the inspiration of this project.
0: Sure. So um, this is um, this is actually uh, kind of an interesting story. So what happened was um, I had a visiting position at um at a small uh, seminary in Denver that's associated with the University of Denver and um one of the tasks i had was um was to advise master students on their thesis theses and so i had this really great student um, who wrote her thesis on Burka avenger And, um, and so then she was kind of interested in doing a few conferences. So I worked with her on kind of, you know, conference proposals and she presented, um, you know, part of her thesis research at a few conferences. And there was some interest in her, you know, doing more with it from a publisher, but they wanted a, um, somebody with a PhD to co um, because she only had a master's. Right. Um, and so, um, she asked me if I would. I already was writing this book on pilgrimage, but I, you know, I, I mean, I adore the students. So I was like, yeah, sure. (laughs) Um, And so then we kind of got into it and she had this incredible thing happen to her, which is that she um, um, fell in love and um, got married and moved to Africa, um, to Niger um, with her partner who's in the state department. And basically was just like, I'm not, you know, I'm not going to pursue academia now. And, um, and so basically, you know, we, we kind of talked it through and the best thing it looked like to do was for me to take over the project. So originally, you know, it was going to be kind of like, I was going to write part of it. Um, and that's kind of how the project came to be. And so I really felt, um, even though I wrote the, the entire book, I really felt like I wanted to credit her on the book cover because she was the one that inspired it. So it's really, you know, it's really this great student I had that inspired the project. That's amazing. And this is Kim Fox that's um, also
1: listed on the cover, right?
0: I'm actually hoping that when she and her partner return to the US, that maybe she'll, you know, re-enter academia because she's just super bright and um, just a great a great human being and and all that. And we'll we'll kind of see if that happens. It may or may not because her um, wife still has a uh, many years in the state department to serve out. Um, but we'll, we'll kind of see what happens, but she's, she's definitely, um, would be great to have in the Academy. That's, that's a beautiful story in
1: terms of the origins of this project, particularly considering the topic, um, that the the book goes into. Um, I was wondering also, since you're dealing with a lot of media sources and, um, comic books, if you could share a little bit about what your methodological process was as you ch- took on the book and started diving into it a little bit more.
0: Yeah, that's, um, that's a great question. So, um, you know, the way I kind of started off was, you know, trying to, th- trying to kind of um, construct the book around a counter narrative around Muslim women, you know, like Muslim women are always oppressed and Muslim women are always abused and Muslim women are always forced to wear hijab and all this kind of stuff. And so one of the things I found really interesting about these characters is that, I mean, sometimes they wear um, hijab, sometimes they don't. Um, but they veil kind of in these really interesting ways. Um, and often their veiling is, you know, some kind of form of protest, right? Or it's kind of the opposite of what you'd expect in terms of why they're doing it or or whatever. Um, and so that was kind of the starting point. Um, and then when I started to kind of get into, um, you know, get into these characters, I wanted to try to focus kind of cross-culturally so I wasn't like just doing, you know, Miss Marvel and the 99, you know, characters that Americans, North Americans were more um, familiar with. And um, I really did a lot of like looking on the internet to be example. So virtual kind of ethnography. And um, the person I actually just found out about that really – is an expert on this is Dr. Kayla Wheeler. um, And she has a fantastic article about this. I just want to put a plug in for her because she's a really amazing scholar. Um, And so I did a lot of that kind of thing, you know. Um, Then it turned out I was actually able to get interviews, um, which I did just over email with a few um, of the creators. So I was able to correspond with, for example, the creator of um, Avenger* and people in his production company in Pakistan. And I was able to um, correspond with this incredible artist who's also also a professor um, who um, created this character, Rot, but who's also involved with other kind of comic book projects um, and a couple other people, right? And that was... Um, that was really, really amazing. I was also able to get some images kind of through them. They were really generous with that. So, you know, it was kind of a variety of things. I looked at a lot of kind of the standard classical work on comics, but then I also looked at a lot of, you know, kind of feminist theory and some Judith Butler and those sorts of things. But but I think the kind of fun thing about the book is actually the perspectives of the creators themselves. Because I don't want this to be like – the white scholar kind of, you know, um, saying, you know, like trying to make assumptions about this work, I really wanted to try to have their voices in there. And I was very, very lucky that I was able to do that.
1: Yeah. And I, I agree that the, the images and kind of um, that you have included in the book are fantastic and match the text very well. And it is definitely one of the, in, in recent times, of was very innovative and fun books that I have read. You know, it challenges you, but it's also visually very appealing. Um, so I think it was successful. How was it interacting with some of these comic book artists or animation, uh, um, you know, folks? Um, was that interesting that they find that maybe the way in which you were portraying it in an academic context was not maybe the way they wanted? To, because um, that's very fascinating. Conversations um, that you must have been having, I would imagine.
0: Yeah, I mean, it, it was interesting. Like, I mean, what I what I tried to do was to you know kind of ask them about their creative process, like what inspired you know this character, or whatever. And the only thing that kind of came up that was something that was a little challenging was with one of the one of the creators who I won't name, um, who's who's a wonderful person. Um, they. Did not agree with um, me talking about kind of the issue of kind of retribution and violence with these characters and superheroes. That's just part of what they do, right? I mean, they're they're vigilantes, kind of by nature. And I think part probably because maybe they weren't familiar with the larger kind of maybe discussion around it or something. So we ha- we definitely had some debates about that, um, and that that was a little tough, you know, because I you know, I really was not willing to kind of give <laughs> that up. But I think because they come from a part of the world that has so much violence, they were, you know, very sensitive to that and for a good reason. Um, and that was kind of the only challenge that came up. But basically, I, I just, you know, asked very kind of simple questions um, about, you know, what inspired this and, you know, what challenges, you know, what, like, what what's the blowback you've gotten in terms of, the, the costuming or the veiling, those kinds of things. So I try not to kind of do leaving questions, right? Um, and so I think overall, it was a, you know, it was a, like a pretty good experience. And one of the really lovely things about all of the folks that kind of co- contributed that were creators is that, you know, they were like very generous with their time and very generous with their resources and, um, you know, gave me all the images for free, you know, which is... Which, is, which was amazing because if you, if you try to get images, you know, from, you know, like Warner Brothers or something, you know, it's, you know it's, it's way, way above what an academic scholar or writer could ever afford. So, you know, overall, it was a pretty positive experience, I would say. That's great to hear. Um, and um, I want to get into
1: some of the characters that you engage with, because I think that's where really the great analysis is coming in. I mean, I have to ask you, do you have a character or a superhero that was your favorite to write about?
0: Um, you know, I, <laughs> I mean, I think a lot, I think they, all the aspects of the, them that are, you know, really fun and kind of engaging, but you know, I just, I love Burka Avenger. Um, I mean, I think the fact that she, you know, uses her, you, you know, uses her veiling in a way to, to basically fight against people that would force her to veil is really interesting. Um, and I, I also like the kind of social messages that she has at the end of, um, you know, the end of episodes. One of the other kind of fun things about her is there's some in some of the episodes she'll incorporate kind of imagery from other um, from other characters. So there's one episode where she. Um, and it's an episode that has to do with the kite flying festival. And she, um, has the, there's a scene where there's these, um, pens that kind of come out of her hand, basically kind of like Wolverine's claws. And so there's a lot of fun stuff like that. Right. Um, so I would say she, she probably is, um, you know, probably is my favorite. And, you know, I've introduced her to a lot of students and I've, you know, every time I do, the students just love her, um, also um there I mean the, you know as i said i like them all um but i think that um Dina Muhammad's character um which exists in kind of web comic form that's another one that's really fun right and i like how she um both stands up to kind of this over-the-top white Western feminism, but also to Islamic patriarchy. And so she's probably the other character that I I thought was, you know, just really interesting and complex and also very funny, right? So those are two, probably my top two. Mm. And it's also interesting that these
1: comic book, um, you know, these female superheroes are are also reflecting, you know, or uh, responding to broader things that are happening. I noticed this with Kahira and what was happening in the context of Cairo or what's happening with bloody Nasserine or what's happening in Pakistan in education. So it's interesting that these characters are used as kind of um, cultural responses and cultural critiques as well, in very fascinating subversive ways that you're talking about.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I think that was, you know, wh- I mean, one of the things I wanted to try to do um, is, you know, to, in, by the way, I didn't know it was going to have such a high list price. I was under the impression it would be a lot <laughs> less, um, which is which was, of course, a major bummer. But, um, I, you know, one of the things I was trying to do was create um, a book. And this is why I always try to do with my writing. Like, let's create a text that can be useful in the classroom. And so, you know, that's why I have these kind of dedicated chapters. And there's this one chapter, you know, that's really focused just on, right, Islamic feminism and kind of what it is and what some of the debates are. And I thought... You know that these characters are a really interesting way to talk about that, right? So instead of just talking about it through other people talking, you can kind of look at the characters and think about, oh, well, maybe this is one way that she, you know, expresses her agency, or maybe this is one way that she, you know, this particular character fights um, patriarchy, and here's another, um, you know, character that that's combating, you know, colonialism. Um, And I think that that's one of the things that makes it kind of a fun project and an engaging, engaging project, right, is the characters themselves and trying to kind of talk through, um, talk through these topics about feminism through them. And I wanted to, this is one of the questions I had,
1: actually, um, is. Because it is so written accessibly, I, as I was reading it, imagined almost using it in my classes when I teach, you know, topics like this. And I wondered if this is, I mean, I would imagine that this is what you have done. And do you have any advice for academic, you know, teachers who are wanting to use some of this material, either as an entire book or sections of it and introducing these pieces into maybe their introduction to Islam classes or gender and sexuality in Islam classes? How would they go about doing something like yeah, that?
0: Yeah, well, I would say, I mean, there, there's kind of two things I would say. I'm, i mean, a big proponent of justice for Students and I realized that this book is really expensive. Um, However, I think I think if somebody was teaching a class on Islam and gender, you could use this basically as a textbook, and then you could use articles to kind of buttress write the chapters. So, for example, if you were let's say you were working on the chapter on um, on the chapter that's really focused on Islamic feminism, you you know you could bring in readings by Dr. Wadud and you know, Leil Ahmed and like all these people. Right. Um, So I think it could be used that way. Um, And I think it would be really interesting, um, you know, to use it that way. Um, So that would be, you know, one suggestion. The the other thing I would say is, is this, is that, um, you know, I mean, I teach in Kentucky, right, at a state university and most of my students are, you know, first generation college students. And, um, you know, they have, uh, they definitely have, you know, like most of them work, full time, right? Or at least part-time and all that. So the other thing, you know, is you could build some lectures around it, right? Like using it as a resource. Um and I think that would be, you know, the other thing, the other thing that you could do. But I, I do think it could be used as a textbook. And I think it, it could be a really useful textbook. Um and if you just use that in the articles um to kind of build a course, I think that would be a really interesting way to do it. And of course you could also use the visual material, right? So you could have them go on Line and look at some episodes of Brook Avenger*. You could have them look at um, all the different web comics, um, and then maybe just have them look at one issue of, of *Miss Marvel*. Right, and I think if you did that, like it could be a fairly affordable text.
1: Yeah. And I think one of the reasons I I would imagine also because um, getting students to read is always very difficult, but getting students to watch or maybe doing analysis on images is always something that they enjoy doing. Mm -hmm. So I think your conversations about how some of the superheroes' bodies were portrayed, you know, if they were overly sexualized as it is often with Marvel comics with female superheroes, maybe like um, uh, Wonder Woman or maybe characters in X-Men versus how um, Muslim superheroes' bodies were represented in terms of their bust or their waste, right? I, I wonder if those are conversations that could facilitate more broader um, um, kind of ideas about things happening within Islamic feminism as yeah, well. And I think
0: that one of the I think it's a great point. I think one of the things about um, about comics, right, because they're visual narratives is even if you're not looking at the whole comic series, there's so much of this material that's available online. Um, and there's of course several of these that I look at, which are essentially only exist in cyberspace, right? Um, that these are, um, you know, web comics. Um, in the case of Bloody Nasreen, there's been kind of these rumors about this book's coming out, this this graphic novel's coming out, this film is coming out, and so far, you know, nobody that I've talked to has actually seen any of the right. So so she's a character that just kind of exists in these incredible drawings and images, right? Um and so I think there's definitely enough kind of out there that's kind of open access free stuff that you could um that you could access. The the other part of your question, um, which I think is a good one is like how to kind of write accessibly. Um, you know, I think it's an important one for scholars of Islam, right? Because, um, you know, if you look on Amazon, right, and you go to a bookstore, there's still kind of this issue of, you know, a lot of what um, is in the bookstores is kind of Islamophobic trash, you know? Um, And so I think one of the ways to combat that and actually to get your scholarship out there is to try to create texts that are, you know, accessible. And I think there's a lot of people that that do this besides me and do it really well. Um, you know, Omid Safi does this really well, where he writes books that are both, you know, these really beautiful academic books, but are accessible and just widely popular with people, you know? And um, there's a variety of other folks that do this. Um, and so I think that, you know, the more scholars can do that, um, the, the, the better, right? Because the more people that we have, reading our book, it gets a wider readership and it creates more conversations in the public discourse. And so I always try to kind of balance it. Like this book has, you know, some discussions of people like, you know, Butler who are super, super, super hard to read. Right. Um, But I don't actually have huge segments of her work, you know, in this book. Right. Because, um, you know, I'm sure you've read some of her philosophy and it's tough stuff, right? Um, But I think there's a way to talk about even people like her um, who are super brilliant and make it accessible to folks, right? And so I think it's a fine line because of course, like when you write these books, um, the Academy, I feel like doesn't always, um, I don't know. I feel like they don't, in a sense, there's a part of the Academy at least that doesn't value it as much as the book that has you know, that's like $400 and, you know, is about whatever. But um, I I feel like there's other issues at play and it's important to to write, you know, for, you know, for students. I mean, I, I generally just, you know, I write for the classroom. So when I am writing a book, my thought process is, you know, how can I write a book that will be interesting for people that I conference with, but will also be really useful for students, right? And that's kind of the way I try to think about it.
1: And I think you're absolutely are successful in this book, you know, and I wonder um, if you did get resistance in the early stages of writing, especially from those within the academy, writing on a topic such as, you know, comic books and, you know, popular culture and media studies, and then incorporating kind of conversations about Islamic feminism, which is also has its own challenges that most a lot of Muslim scholars who are females who engage in those conversations are going through. So you're having engaging with these, like, uh, these broader topics, bringing them together. Um, And I wonder if you had any resistance at all.
0: Um it's like have I had
1: any resistance since the book came out? or even in the process of it, if you were telling people, and if other academics did react in the way—I mean, I'm taking comic books seriously. I know in the world of popular culture and media studies, it seems very obvious. And and you're writing this other book also on kind of mystical traditions yeah. in the West, and I think it is—it is fascinating how there's certain texts that are seen as worthy of you know time and analysis, and kind of maybe normative Islamic studies and certain things that are not. Um, and I wonder if there's been responses, um, you know, if you've heard any responses to that. Or Challenges from that. Um,
0: I mean, I think that one of the things that comes up for me um, with, and I think it's a fantastic question, and I'm glad it's you that's asking it. Is I, I don't know how much of kind of people being kind of, you know, oh, but this isn't as serious as this other, you know, this kind of thing. I don't know how much of that is the subject matter and how much of it is gender. <laughs> so um, we all know that gender in the academy is a big issue, and you know. Um, our wonderful mentor to everybody, Keisha Ali, gave this fantastic lecture, right? Last year, AAR, about it. And I, and so like when this stuff comes up, I'm never sure, um, is, does this have to do with my work or does it have to, like, is it, is it that like they're not considering this work or is there some other thing? Because the reality is that male scholars just don't experience this at this level or ever, right? And so, or hardly ever, you know what I mean? Um, and so I, I do think there's some, there's a gender piece to that. Now, the, the only thing that, like, I can kind of think about in terms of kind of an antidote is when I was um, in the final stages of my first book, which was with Oxford, which was this book called Muslims in the Western Imagination, um, which, which was really well received um, and, you know, which I was surprised about, to be honest, because it was basically, you know, coming out of my dissertation research. But in any case, I remember at one point asking somebody um, and I won't like name the person or the institution or anything. Um, if they would look at my index and kind of tell me what they thought. And so when they, when I had a conversation about it, they kind of made fun of it. They were like, Oh, well you, uh, you know, you've had so many different things like from so many different entries, like from, um, you know, uh, kind of cephali, which are these dog-headed men of the middle ages to kind of contemporary monsters like zombies and kind of made fun of it. So like, I don't, um and that was actually a female scholar. So I don't know, you know, I mean, and, and so, you know, I don't like know how much of this is just kind of what academia is like and that there's all this kind of pettiness because the stakes are so low kind of thing, right? Um <laughs> Or like how much of it is because, some of my work, like a lot of my work has to do with popular culture, you know, so I think it's a really important question. And I think it's something that I imagine Keisha um, will be addressing in her book this more of her lecture, which I know we're all anticipating. <laughs> um, uh, she's going to write a book that's, you know, kind of building upon upon those themes and those experiences. So, I mean, I think it's kind of all, I think it's complicated, right? Um, in terms of kind of a review, like I haven't had any reviews of my books that have um, that have uh, kind of brought this up, right? About like, oh, this is not as serious as this up you know, so I haven't experienced that. But I don't you know, I'm not saying I won't. But, you know, and I'm kind of prepared for that if it does happen.
1: And talking about complexities and complex questions and conversations, um, I thought maybe we'd spend some time talking also about kind of the broader theme of this book, which is Islamic feminism um, and really what you're using these superheroes um, and the way in which they're portrayed visually and their narratives and and their experiences, which are all different and globally presented, which I think is fantastic. You know, um, it's not just, as you're saying, American female superheroes, it's superheroes from around the world. Um, How are they really um, helping us think about the complexity of Islamic feminism? Or the ways in which people talk about, you know, um, women's rights in Islam. If they're not, they don't frame it as feminism either. Yeah, I think that's a good um, question. So,
0: I mean, that kind of goes back to this issue of trying to let the character speak and trying to kind of get some kind of sense from the creators, right? Of what 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 their views were with these. Because I again didn't want to be like white scholar talking <laughs> kind of thing, right? Um, so. Um, I mean, I think one of the, these things, um, one of the things that these characters will tell us is that there's different, different ways to be Muslim and different ways to express your agency and different ways to be, you know, feminist and I know that some, um, you know, some people in the field would totally reject the, the label of feminism, um, and I think that's totally fine and that's not my call to make whether that's okay or not. Um, and they have different ways of talking about it. Um, but I think one of the things that you see with these characters is that there's, there's different ways to be Muslim and to be female, right? Um, and that there isn't just one way. So there isn't just, like, the, the, the Muslim woman who's kind of the homemaker and, like, never leaves the house. And there isn't just the Muslim woman who's always a superhero. And there isn't just the Muslim woman who's... You know the super scholar, right? Um, that that it's there's all these different kinds of you know kinds of women and kinds of individuals, and I think that's one of the nice things about this therapy, right? They're all quite different, um, and like some of them, you know, are kind of you know have an aspect of the personality that's kind of very funny, right? And they have a great sense of humor, and I think that's true for Kamala Khan and to some sense. Uh, Dina Muhammad's character, um, Tara, um, and then others kind of are more serious, you know. And so I think one of the things that the characters tell us is that there's different ways to be to be Muslim, right? Um, and there's different ways that uh, people kind of embody their their feminism or their kind of feminine aspects, right? And I think that's useful because I think one of the things that I was trying to do with this book is, and certainly. Hopefully, if people will use it in classes, you know, we'll have students that probably have a very precious notion of what a Muslim woman is like. Um, so one of the things I was trying to do with this book is to say, there's all different kinds of Muslims, right? In a sense, this is the same thing I said in a, in a totally different way, a different topic with the pilgrimage book that you were interviewing about. Um, and I think that's that's one of the things that hopefully this book uh, drives that theme hope. Right, that there's all these different ways to be Muslim, and there's all these different ways to be a woman, and I think Butler is useful there. Right, um, so you know what Butler says basically. Right, one of her really many, I mean, she has many important ideas, but one of the things that she writes about extensively, which I tried to kind of use in the kind of the theoretical portion of the book, um, is this idea of you know we don't have to do what society or what hegemonic masculinity does we have to do, right? And so we can formulate our own identity and our own gender because we have agency, right? And I think that's a really powerful, um, you know, powerful idea. And I certainly think that these characters express that. And
1: how does um, violence play into this? Um, Because one of the fascinating themes and kind of sub-themes that I was noticing throughout your discussion is the way in which violence came up, either as being inflicted on the woman's body or the ways in which, um, you know, these female superheroes were able to... um, retaliate with violence, you know, the way in which uh, it was, you could be um, someone who was fighting for rights with violence. I just found violence kind of a fascinating thing that came up, especially because we talked, um, your book talked a lot about Kill Bill and the character from there, and how that, you know, uh, Quentin Tarantino's work is being overtly violent in some, some ways, um, and I was a bit, I was quite curious about that, and I wanted to hear more about it, that as well, especially in light of Islamic feminism, women's bodies, intersectional thought, right? I think violence was this fascinating theme that was kind of Um, in the shadows for me a lot as I was reading the book.
0: Yeah, um, I think that's a great question. So, I mean, one of the things I was trying to get at was that, you know, um, superheroes just by the nature of what they do are vigilant, right? So they're basically, you know, they're functioning outside of kind of the normative um, constraints of like government, right? Um, And so one of the things you see in a lot of these narratives is that you know the superhero kind of comes in because either the either the government is corrupt or the villains are so kind of horrific and scary and out of control that the government can't kind of handle them right? So just at the very basic level you have it with the superhero, right? That they are vigilante and on some level they use violence. Now the way that these superheroes which I you know look at in this book use violence is often very kind of in gentle ways <laughs> and that's interesting I think because to me that says something about people's discomfort with women using violence um, kind of like well men use it all the time but you know when women use it it's kind of like this this different thing and I, I tried to be a little careful as well because there's this whole discourse with Islam and violence right all Muslim, especially Muslim men are kind of um, predetermined to be ultra-violent, right, so I wanted to be careful there, but I think that there is something there about superheroes, right, because by virtue of what they do and by virtue of them having to exist, I mean, they have to exist because justice is not, the normal kind of wheels of justice are not working, right, and so they have to, that's why they exist, right? And then um, the, the only way that they can basically solve these issues of injustice is through some form of violence. Now, whether it's just tying up a criminal um, in ropes or whatever, right, or whether it's something kind of more extreme, I mean, these people, right, with these characters. And so I try to kind of gently <laughs> push that a little bit because I, I knew that I didn't want to be kind of you know, insensitive to the issues of Islamophobia, right? But I also wanted to be honest about, like, this is part of what superheroes are. They are vigilant, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And so certainly we don't have a character, except for bloody Nasreen, who, you know, in the images of her is obviously
1: committing
0: pretty intense violence. Um, We don't have really a character like, um, you know, um, the women in Kill Bill, right? But... But we still do have some element of violence, um, but it, it does seem to be pretty And I think part of that problem is because of it. I mean, that's, my that's, guess, is there's a kind of discomfort with that.
1: And this is where it's interesting to see that instead of maybe what we would associate as overt violence with um, maybe superheroes from X-Men or from um, the Marvel series, you kind of have the mystical arts that are cultivated, especially kind of the Sufi connections that some of these heroes had, which I thought was just really cool. Um, Maybe I'm projecting too much because I work on Sufism, but I thought that was very neat to see, actually.
0: Yeah. And I actually wish that, you know, I had one of my regrets about the book is I didn't develop that a little bit more. Um, and I'm, um, I got asked to, to write, um, to write a chapter for an upcoming volume. And I think that's actually going to be my focus is, is more kind of on the mystical aspects of these, you know, of these characters. It's something I kind of, you know, start off with a little bit and I kind of go through the chapters and then I kind of pick up at the end. But I, I really wish that I had spent, uh, spent more time on that, um, because I think it's really an interesting um, aspect with a lot of these stories of these superheroes, there's there's a lot there that's pretty interesting in terms of um, you know in terms of mysticism um, and you know in terms of kind of like they're, they they die and they're reborn in a different form. And, you know, there's often some kind of initiation and sometimes their body goes through a change. Of course, there's the the whole element of kind of dreams and visions and of course all of these miracles. So there's, I think there's a lot there that's pretty fascinating and I'm hoping to maybe pick that up um, in this um, project I, I'm hoping to work on in the fall.
1: That sounds so exciting because I mean, when I watch superhero movies, I often read kind of mystical interpretations onto it. So it's I think all the themes that you're mentioning are like exactly there, and that's why when I when I was reading sections of it in the book, I was wanting more. So I would really love to see kind of the article or the chapter that comes out of that. Actually, I have to ask: um, Were you a superhero or like comic book fan growing up?
0: I wasn't huge. I mean, my like um, my I mean, I love Wonder Woman. Like I remember watching you know, Linda card and Wonder Woman. I mean, I loved it. And I, I know I had, you know, probably somewhere in a box somewhere, my old Wonder Woman, um, you know, Wonder Woman lunchbox and um, Andrews or whatever. But um, I was, I mean, a huge and always have been a huge Star Wars fan, right? So, um, which is obviously the Star Wars, you know, series um, is very mystical. And there's all kinds of, all kinds of religious stuff going on and you know um and so in that respect i was very you know always very kind of interested in um in those characters and, and kind of their mystical journeys and you know all of that but i wasn't one of these kids that you know collected that has like boxes of comics. i wasn't i wasn't like that and so when when my um when when kim you know came you know kind of came to me with this oh this is what i'm thinking about doing for my master's thesis, it was really fun for me because it's been so long since I had kind of looked at, um, you know, kind of looked at these images outside of the heroes and Star Wars mm-hmm. and, you know, movies like that. I haven't really looked at it that much.
1: Um, can you let us know what you're working on next?
0: Um, what future projects can we expect from you? Sure. So I have, um, so my current project is this book um, project I'm doing for One World, um, who also published my pilgrimage book, and it's really on the commodification of mysticism. And so, um, the tentative title is um buying Buddha, selling movie, mysticism in the modern world. And so one of the things I'm looking at is the the anthropology of the idea of mysticism, right? Um, both in the academy and also in kind of uh the general public. I'm mostly focusing on North America. There's a little material in there about um, mysticism in Europe. Um, And then I'm looking at um, how images um, that are associated with mystical practices in the East are commodified. And um, I'm not doing a huge kind of ethical treatment um, about it or an ethical analysis, but I do have, uh, for instance, there's a chapter on uh, basically cultural colonialism. There's another chapter on what I called um, muddled Orientalism, where there's just kind of all these images thrown together, right, um, for profit. Um, but I have, sp- I have chapters where I'm looking at um, specific traditions. So, for example, the chapter on, um, on Hinduism looks at yoga um, and the kind of huge corporatization of yoga, but also looks, one of the other things I'm interested in looking at the book is in mystical tourism, So um, sites, you know, places where people go where they they believe because they're, they're around kind of, um, you know, the indigenous practitioners or they're kind of in some kind of sacred space, they're going to somehow kind of get the, you know, get the blessings or kind of get that spiritual wisdom. And so I'm looking at um, Bali, I'm looking at a couple other places that are associated with other mystical traditions like India, um, Morocco. Um, and a couple other places. So I think that's kind of one of the, one of the kind of um, parts of the book. Of course, the big thing in the Islam unit is Rumi, but I'm, I'm there trying to also look at some, some of the um, uh, kind of products and methods of commodification that other scholars haven't spent as much time on. So there's really good work that's come out in the uh, past couple of years on, you know, Buddhism in the West, um, and so I don't want to like copy like what Rory Dixon has done because I think the industry piece of work is really interesting. Um, and I use a lot of it in this book, but I'm trying to look at some other kind of, uh, products, you know, in this book. And so in a sense, this is kind of a critique of the West, um, and North Americans, you know, the people that do this tend to be kind of white, upper middle class North Americans and Europeans that, that basically capitalize on other people's religion and steal it to make money, right? So, um, and it's something I've been really interested in a long, in, in, a, in a long time. And um, the, the kind of plug I want to put in, or the person I want to thank for uh, kind of having me think about this, one of the people is um, one of the people I worked with at my old institution who just retired as Dr. Tinker, and he's a Native American scholar. And he really was one of the people that called me to kind of think about this, right? Because his culture is so, like, so much of that happens, right, to Native Americans. Um, and so he's one of the people that kind of inspired the project. And um, hopefully I'll do, um, you know, I'll, I can honor him a little bit with it. But um, that's that's really what the book's about. And I'm still, you know, I'm at about... I don't know, 140, 145 pages, and I think it's about, I think it's going to be a lengthy book because I'm I'm tackling three different traditions, right? Um, And so I think it's probably going to wind up being pretty hefty volume, but one of the reasons I I love One World is that they, they do a beautiful job of getting a book out there, right? So I have no doubt that they'll, once it comes out, that they'll get it get it out to bookstores and airports and, you know, libraries and they do a wonderful job with that. So, and it's, it's really fun work, but it's definitely a big project. Um, The other one that's, that's going to come up is that um, uh, university press, and I can't say who it is, sent me the contract yet um, said they're going to offer me a contract on this project on Indonesia I've been wanting to do, which I proposed to them uh, many months ago. I've been thinking about for a long time. And basically what I want to do with that um, project is look at, um, some of the practices in Indonesia, the Muslim practices, and kind of try to turn the tables on this notion of kind of the five pillars version of Islam that we still get in a lot of our textbooks. So I tried to kind of do this a little bit with the pilgrimage book. And I know we had kind of talked about that. Um, what I'm trying to do in this book is, is basically say, okay, so if we're going to take, you know, one part of the world or one kind of idea about Islam, and we're going to present this as Islam, fine. But what happens if we do it um, in a place where Islam is practiced in a lot of different ways and differently than a lot of readers would expect. Right. And so that's, that's kind of the next big um, project, but I envision that honestly as a multi-year Um, project that's going to take me to Indonesia multiple times because there's a lot of field work that I have to do and a lot of kind of language uh, study that I have to do and all that. So that's the next big one. And I'm super excited about that because it's very different, obviously, than, um, than this project or the Veiled Superheroes project. Great. Both of them sound fantastic. And
1: as always, um, it's always such a great honor and pleasure for myself to connect with you. And I'm so appreciative of your time and energy and all the work that you do. So thank you so much for joining us today. And I hope to have a conversation again with you in the future.
0: I hope so. And thank you so much.